Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvay, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Hello. So, how you feeling today, cut boy? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right, I guess. Tired. But uh, I'm always tired by about four o'clock in the afternoon, so it's the way like it is. normal person. Yeah. So. And uh, well, the... Uh, the show is when? Two more weeks? Saturday the 29th. So I'm in three categories. So I'm in True Novice, which is first time on stage. I'm in the Open, which is for everyone. And I'm in Masters for people over 40. So Do you get to go on with a walker or? <laughs> I might need one. Because <laughs> if you need one, I got I got spares. Oh, I'm sure you do. And my dog's going crazy, so I know you'll probably hear Suzuki, Suzuki, uh, Suzuki barking over there, but I don't know what she's barking at. Ghosts. It is that time of year. It is. Um, all right, so for this episode, it's going to be a quickie. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Penguins game that uh, just occurred on Monday night. Come here, Suze! Uh <laughs> Is this on uh, you? No. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> now, we'll talk about the Pens game. Uh, we will talk a little bit about the kids, how they're doing, thoughts on their play. Uh, there's some talk about Monaghan and some random stuff that we'll throw in at the end. So, okay. let's just kick it off right away with the Penguins game. Canadians beat the Penguins 3-2 in overtime. Uh, I mean, not too many people expected that. Did you? No, I didn't. Uh, especially with uh, Monty and Nets, I wasn't really uh, looking uh, yeah. good. Although I thought he played well. Uh, I'm not going to uh, take away from him. I thought he had a good game. Did. Um, I'm going to go kill a dog and be right back. <laughs> okay. It'll I'll take get me two on seconds. to it then. Yeah. So while he is putting his dog away or feeding her a treat so she'll stop barking penguins game i felt was it's kind of the canadians are 
two separate teams. You got a team that plays well at home when they have the matchups. And for some reason, they just can't pull it out when they're on the road because they can't get those matchups. Now, do you do you think that's accurate? I think that's accurate. I think it's two where the team's such a young team, uh, inconsistency is going to happen. Uh, this is probably the type of season we're going to look at. You're going to see some really, really, really good games followed by some bad games uh, just because of the inconsistency. Uh, I think the matchups have a huge – I mean, so far in four games, they're 2-0 and at home and 0-2 on the road. So the matchups is the easiest thing to look at as what the, what the issue is going to be. Although I will say Gooley played 15 of the 18 minutes against Sidney Crosby and held him pointless. So uh, he's – I mean, he's a pretty much a top four uh, defenseman four games into his career. Um, but – uh, I'm, I'm expecting this throughout the season for the Canadians. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of what it used to be. They were terrible at home last year and uh, better on the road. Uh, I don't know what St. Louis is doing, but I, I, I would say, yeah, I think it's the matchups. It's the biggest thing to uh, take out of the, uh, the reason why they're so good at home and, and not so good on the road. The second period has been pretty crappy for them too on like yeah. in every game. but Well, and other teams adjust. And yeah. the Canadians, for some reason, are having a hard time. The players are to adjusting to that that change of pace. So a lot of teams will pick up their pace a little bit, and the Canadians just don't seem to accept that it's going to happen or don't know how to respond. And it takes them a few minutes. And like you said, it they're a young team for the most part, uh, and they have a hard time with that. Not to mention, while they do have a lot of veterans up forward, uh, some of them are just coming off injuries. Some of them aren't doing that well or just trying to get back into the swing of things like Drew Wang, for instance. And that also plays a factor in them not being able to adjust quick enough, which is partially why I'm figuring this is a team that, I mean, a 450 win percentage or point percentage is probably where they're going to be at. And that's still in the bottom 10. Yeah. I figure, and I've been saying this all off season. I don't think they're bad enough to be a bottom five. And not that they're not bad enough. I just think there's at least five teams that are going to be worse than they are. Um, on purpose. On purpose, yeah. But I think they're good enough that, yeah, they're going to be between, I'd say around seventh or eighth last is where I think they're going to end up. Um, especially if Allen keeps playing the way he is. Uh, the the rookie defensemen, I'm sorry to say, but they played well. Like uh, Jack Eye, I thought, in the Washington game, made a few mistakes, gave the puck away early with the Washington game or the uh, – Detroit game, but gave the puck away at the at the blue line, which led to a goal. Uh, but you're gonna, those are gonna happen on a, on a young player. That's you, you tend to expect that from a a rookie defenseman or a young player uh, because they're gonna make those mistakes. The the thing you have to look for is, do they do it again? Does it become a habit? And uh, so far, none of the like Harris, Jack, I even uh, the guy from uh, Kovacevic. Uh, Kovacevic uh, from Winnipeg, they've all been pretty consistent. Like they, they, they're not making the same errors twice. They're, uh, I mean, I'm really impressed with Kovacevic, uh, whatever you say his name. I'm really, I'm really impressed with him. Like I thought he, I think he's doing very well at both ends of the ice. And uh, yeah, he's solid. He's, he yeah. is understated in his play. He's not, uh, 
when you don't really notice him, that's a good sign. Yeah, he's not flashy, but he's not, uh, you know, I mean, Savard, he's blocking shots like crazy. He's doing the, he's the Hal Gill of uh, this team. He's just, uh, he makes almost as many saves as a goalie does in a game. Um, I mean, he leaves the league in shots, I believe, or block shots right now, I believe. He does, um, yeah. And uh, uh, 2000. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's just, you know, he's made some mistakes, but Savard, Savard, you're, you, you expect, you know, your veteran's going to do what your veteran's going to do. Um, but I just think the team's playing well. Like, there hasn't been a line. Dadanov had a good game against Pittsburgh, and I thought he's been kind of iffy. I mean, Huffman's Huffman. Um, I mean, Dadanov almost scored. He had a partial breakaway, got hauled down, and was yeah. still able to get a shot off from his laying on his chest. So, I mean, we all know the last first few games, not, but I thought he played well in Pittsburgh. Um, Slavkowski, I thought, for the limited ice time he had, he was the only player under 10 minutes. I thought he played well. He made good passes. Uh, most of his passes hit the stick of the player he was trying to get it on. He played well. He used his body. He played well on the boards. Um, just to veer off a little bit, but uh, if you're wondering if his development's getting hurt for playing the way he's playing the strategy that martin st louis and kent hughes decided to go with him was to limit his ice time to put him in situations for him to get used to and once he gets used to those certain situations so five on five that's all they want him to concentrate on right now it's not that they don't think he won't be an asset to the power play or anything but they don't want to put too much pressure on him too quickly so what they're doing is we're going to give him five on five and just five on five, give him that time to get used to that. Cause he's still getting used to the ice, the, the, the size of the ice and the speed of the game, start getting used to that. If we see improvements in that, then we'll move on. You know, um, whether he plays past nine games or not, I, I think that'll depend on if Joe, Joel Armia comes back or not, or. Uh, I, yeah. It, there's that, uh, there's that road trip to uh, Minnesota sometime early December. I think that's around game yeah. 10 maybe yeah. 11. So if they get to that point and he's not really pushing it, Armia's due back around then. So I can see, I can see them leaving him behind possibly yeah. and if they don't, don't make a trade. Now I don't think he's been playing bad. He hasn't been scoring. No. He hasn't been getting a point, but you have to look at the way they're trying to develop him or the way they're trying to push him. They're trying to keep the least amount of pressure off him as possible and just let him worry about certain parts of his game at a time. And that's why he's on the third and fourth lines, because it's not really, you know, he's not up against any high-pressured other lines. He's not, you know, and as long as he's improving on the things they want him to improve on, I think that's okay. Now, Brian Wilde and I agree on one thing. If you're not touching the puck, you're not developing. But I think when it's what I've read, how it's been explained uh, by Arpin and The Athletic, it's similar to what Seattle's doing with Shane Wright down in uh, only they're not sitting Slavkowski. They're not making him a healthy scratch, but they're just putting them in situations where they're not going to be overpressured. And uh, so sitting in the uh, the press box is well, the exact spot. <laughs> well, at least Montreal's putting Slavkowski on the ice. So true. And so. I think he's, he's showing some growth in his game, even in these few games that he's had. Um, the uh, the news came out today as we record. It is Wednesday the nineteenth that he's going to be put in with a billet family in Montreal. So 
that'll take a lot of pressure off him to try and cook for himself and go get groceries and do all these other little things. And it's a, it'll be two people that live in the area that know the area that understand the culture and they could, they can ease him in to living in the city. So a lot of young early picks have famously lived with older players. And in this case, it's, they didn't say who the billet family was if they were part of the organization or if it's just volunteers, but the simple fact that he won't need to concern himself with those day-to-day things that sometimes can take up a little extra time and he can focus more on video uh, scouting of himself, working on his game, going to practice, knowing where to drive. (laughs) The Bill family can help him with that because the traffic in Montreal is, especially with construction is not <clears throat> yeah i thought they were done the construction of montreal oh no that's 2072 um yeah I, another thing you could look at it too he's going to a billet family because well i mean laval's what 30 minutes away from montreal really so exactly you know he's close to laval if he does don't go down um i personally am indifferent whether he plays in Montreal or Laval as long as he's developing the way the team feels like he can develop. He's very eager to learn. He doesn't make the same mistake twice. He, uh, you know, he, according to everything I hear, is very responsive to the coaches. He's very, uh, you know, um, it's like he said during draft day, I don't want to be, I just want to be the best player picked at the draft. I don't care where I'm picked. I just want to be the best player. And, and then you put that with what Ken Hughes said. We didn't pick the best 18-year-old. We picked the best player from the draft for the future. And uh, so if you look at it that way, then I'm going to leave the development up to Nicholson and St. Louis and everyone that's going to be involved with that because they know more than I do. Well, when you th- when you think about it, everyone's, everyone's pumping Ghoulie's tires right now, right? He's 20. He had a couple of years in junior after being drafted. He took, they let him take their time and play the games. I realized that during a pandemic, he didn't play as many. So imagine how much further ahead he would have been had he played more, but they, they let him mature his game, give him more touches, more opportunity to be a leader. Uh, He was the captain of Prince Albert. He was the captain for team Canada for two games, but still, and he played in a Memorial cup won a championship with Edmonton and WHL did all that because they let him work on his game at lower levels. If people want to wait a couple of years for Ghoulie, do the same for Slavkovsky. Think two years down the road, how much better he'll be with the development. That's, that's where your head should be at right now. If you're watching the Canadians and you're like, yeah, I don't like what's going on. Well, think about what should be going on two years down the road because that is where the team is looking too many people put the oh he was picked first overall blah 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 if you really look at it Alex Lafreniere never had a point in his first 14 games or something like that so uh and look at him now two years down the road now he's one of the top players he just got more better uh, more better he just improved every every season so uh you know be patient. Just be patient. Like this is not the Bergevin regime. This is not the same management that we had with uh, Kotniemi and 
than you know all these other guys who develop terribly. Um, these guys just want what's best for Slavkovsky. If they feel he's learning, he's going to develop better right now where he's at, what he's doing. Fine, I'll go with that. If they feel he's going to be better going to Laval and stuff like that, I don't think it ha- anything ha- is going to hurt his confidence. I think he already knows from the outset. If this doesn't work, this is where you're going. You know what I mean? So I'm not too worried about it, really. No, neither am I. Um, and to go back to the Penguins game, though, uh, after that sidebar, <laughs> to go back, we, you were talking a little bit about Arbor Jacki and him making some errors, taking bad penalties, for instance. Mm-hmm. That is not something that, is exclusive to the Canadians because Jeff Petrie in his first game back decided, Hey, I'm going to score a hat trick of penalties at terrible times at terrible times. So it, it, as much as I enjoyed (coughs) Jeff Petrie when he was with the Canadians and I thought he did an amazing job overall, that was something that really, you know, it just, it happened way too often. And that's just part of his game. Sometimes he'll take a bad penalty. Like the uh, the Canadians were putting pressure on the zone and he took a cross-checking call. It happens. It happens. Especially with Personally, that. to me, I don't think the penalty should have been called in overtime. I didn't think it was that. But I'm glad it did because it gave Montreal the power play. and the. It did. I'll tell you what, uh, going to that. The Montreal power play, if they can stay in the zone, looks amazing. The way they pass it around, the way they set up, the way they do it. The problem is, is when they get out of the zone, they have no idea how to get it back in. <laughs> Absolutely none. Um, this slingshot thing that I'm never going to understand it. Um, but I don't know. They seem to think it's going to work, but we'll see. It It seems to work as often as a dump and chase would, which is not good. I think the dump and chase is better because then you have four forwards at least still skating, not sitting at the blue line waiting for someone to bring the puck in. I mean, opposition defenses are just standing up at the blue line now because that's they're waiting for everybody to do this drop pass bullshit. So maybe a chip pass through the zone in a dump and chase mo- um, method might work better. I don't know. I don't know. For now, however, during that game, the power play did look a lot better. It did. They they have much better puck movement. Uh, this the penalty kill still looks strong. The entire season thus far, that I penalty think they've kill only allowed one really power good. play goal, haven't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've only scored one, but they've only allowed. But, one. I, I mean, the PK they have only allowed one. Yeah, so. and that's that's the good news out of the special teams. Yeah. And in this in this game with the Penguins. <laughs> we saw a little bit of the development. Like we, you talked about development and Slavkovsky and how they're approaching him. Well, there's other rookies on the team and young players. And what we saw was Gooley, Caulfield and Suzuki to kick off the overtime. Oh, how many times did Ducharme and uh, Tarion and uh, Julian, everyone's just clamoring to get the, the highest <coughs> skilled players, the younger players, the ones that were playing well in those games, how many times have you said, they got to start these guys. And they, it's always the same three guys. You know, it's always the, the veteran center who can win a face off. 
maybe uh, the old veteran defenseman because he's savvy and a veteran winger so, because he skates the same speed as the other two. It, it was Dano, Petrie, and Byron. Usually. Petrie. Yeah. Or, I, uh, or Dano, Gallagher, and uh, yeah. Weber. Weber, yeah. No, I liked what he did. I liked how he started, though. I mean, why wouldn't you start Suzuki and Caulfield over time, first of all? Who cares what the no defenseman kidding. is? Why wouldn't you start them, too? Uh, they're they're your, your your biggest offensive threats. Um, it, well, it's, Ducharme and Tarion and, and Julian, they all play to old school, like, well, we don't want to lose, so we're playing not to lose. Whereas, Whereas in overtime... St. Louis, like, I'm playing to win. Like, it's yeah. overtime. Play to win. Um, we got our point. Let's go. Like, like when he pulled the goalie with two and a half minutes left. And who did he put out? Caulfield, Suzuki, Caulfield, Suzuki Gooley. Drew in. Gooley, yeah. Drew in. Pass and, over to Caulfield, who was just sitting in his office waiting for the pass to come over. And, oh, and what a pass that was from yeah. Drew in, too. That was unbelievable. So, Love him or and hate that, him. <clears throat> yeah. That's what you get from Drew. So you get flashes of brilliance and then moments where you're like, where the hell? It, and that's the, he's one of those veterans I spoke of at the top of the show where, you know, sometimes it's just, they don't have their feet under him yet. That was only his second yeah. game. He looked, he looked pretty good in that game. And then he made that one play that just, the, uh, he, I don't know how he saw Caulfield wide open and how he threaded that pass, but he did it. And my God, that shot on Caulfield. No, first I thought it hit the post when I first seen it, but then uh, it did you hit the post, it? but it went in. They had to put it in slow motion for us to see the puck. Well, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But when he first shot, I was like, yeah, he scored. And then when oh. I seen the replay, I was like, wait, did that go in? I thought it was like the first goal that Pittsburgh thought they had. And, but yeah, yeah it, clearly, it clearly went in. Uh, and then, of course, Doc's goal. Uh, Suzuki's pass to Doc play. in the overtime goal on the power play. Uh, oh, it's Monaghan. almost like, oh yes, Monahan. Sorry, it's almost like they baited everyone to thinking Caulfield was going to get the puck the entire time. Yeah, and then Monahan just skated sort of into the slot and said, "Oh, here you go, Kirby." <laughs> Everyone's looking at him. And, I'm just going to throw it to you. So, and that's what they did. They used they. It looked like they used Caulfield as a, a diversion because they were able yeah. to move the puck around on the outside. Causing their their defensive triangle to to move, and as it moved, yeah. it opened up just enough for Monahan to get that puck to Doc. Yeah, and uh, that's perfect because if you look at Montreal's power play so far, you can tell they're trying to get the puck to Caulfield. They're trying to get Caulfield in an open spot yeah. and get the puck to him. And teams recognize that. So in that overtime, I can guarantee you those three guys were like. It's going to Caulfield. It's going, you know what I mean? And then Monaghan gets the puck. It opens a bit. He goes into the slot. Oh, oh, it's not going to him. And Kirby Doc's just like, uh, I'll just stand here and let it go off my stick. <laughs> yeah. So. Best way to score. Yeah. But uh, the power play before that one, the one that was earlier on in the third period, uh, they, yeah, they were trying to set up Suzuki, not Suzuki. They were trying to set up Caulfield quite a bit. And then I noticed that after about 30 seconds of that, they were cheating over to Caulfield's side. And instead of making the pass over to Caulfield, Suzuki just held onto it and walked in for a shot. Yeah. So by doing that, it, it forces teams to think and it, it keeps them honest. 
Yeah. Well, and and that was actually a good move by Suzuki because in back in the day when Weber was there on the power play, nobody tried to do that. It was get it to Weber, get it to Weber, get it. Yeah, constantly to Weber. You know what I mean? And nobody did the whole get it to Weber. Well, it's not working to Weber. Let's do something else, right? That way, they'll be like, all right, we got Weber blocked. They have no other. The power play shut down. No, it's not. We're going to try this. And uh, so Suzuki's, and, and that's what they have to do. I think a bit of the power play problem is teams are starting to, all right, they're trying to get it to Caulfield, which rightfully so, because Caulfield, when he gets in that Ovi position, is pretty much just like Ovi. He's going he's gonna to put the puck in the net if he gets it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and if he misses earlier, he's definitely going to put it in the next time he gets a chance. Um, so Suzuki doing that makes them think, oh, wait a minute, Suzuki has the puck. He could shoot. You know, he may not pass it to try to get it to Caulfield. He may try to put it in the net. So, Because he can, he actually can score on the power play. He's proven he can do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, and he's the king of the wraparound. Yeah. Exactly. Both those goals and... this year have been wraparounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, does the goal against Pittsburgh, that first goal he scored, does that even count as a wraparound? Because he put it through uh, Jari's legs, went off the post, and it slid to the other side. He skated around, but he didn't wrap the puck around. That is a wraparound. To me, that's a wraparound. It's a, it's a modified Is that a bank wraparound. shot wraparound? It's a ba- modified wraparound. <laughs> bank shot wraparound. Oh, man. And just the fact that he was able to see that and, put, and he had enough speed to pull that off, I mean... And now you've got a centerman. Your top centerman is now more than a point per game. You got a winger who is more than a point per game, and he's on pace for what sixty some odd goals. Uh, two goals in four games, so three. What? Three goals in four games, four points. Yeah, so he's yeah, uh, yeah. I guess yeah. I don't yeah, know. something around there, fifty, sixty, around whatever. There. Whatever. I don't know if that's going to last, but just the fact that he's on the pace now, he might. My uh, my thirty goal prediction might be too low. Well, I, I predicted he thirty thirty five was realistic. Uh, I do believe. I mean, I think he could be a fifty goal scorer in in his career at some point. But with Montreal and the talent around him, thirty thirty five was a realistic. But if Suzuki is playing the way he's playing with Caulfield, uh, if you look at it under Martin St. Louis, he was on pace for 52 goals or something like that uh, over his 37 games. So really, uh, yeah, 50 is not unrealistic right now, if you think about it. And Sportsnet stats, the uh, Twitter, the uh, Twitter account Sportsnet stats put out the stat that since St. Louis arrival, back in February uh Caulfield's played 41 games in those 41 games he has 26 goals 25 he's tied with 25 McCabe. yeah yeah so now he is in the same company as Matthews and McDavid now the reason I bring that up is because I had a, a great time just scrolling through I didn't I didn't interact with anybody I just read the thread just scroll down Toronto fans were losing their damn minds. Absolutely losing it. I guess they felt Robertson was being uh, uh, slighted for some reason. I don't know. Nick Robertson? 
Yeah. He's supposed to be better. Has he even played in the NHL? I don't know, but he's supposed to be better. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that's my point. Like They're more concerned about – Toronto right now is in full implosion mode, their fans. Like Montreal fans realize that this year's – whatever. A win is just gravy. Toronto, however, after losing to Arizona at the same night that the Canadians beat the Penguins, they're kind of – they're losing their minds. And now that team, Arizona, showed up to Montreal. That's Montreal's next game on Thursday night, the 20th. And Arizona's been in Montreal for an extra day. So the Canadians are going to be facing a team that probably partied pretty hard after beating Toronto, uh, probably doing their rookie dinner, and may not put out their best game. And the Canadians do play well at home. So I'm expecting a little bit more schadenfreude from Habs Twitter once they if, if they do win the game, which is my expectation. Well, Habs Twitter is a, is confused now because they want Montreal to finish bottom five, but they also want them to win at the same time. And now they don't know whether they should be happy or sad. So it's really a fun time on Habs Twitter because people just really don't know what's going on right now. Um, I remember I had a conversation earlier ago where I said, I, all I said was, I don't think Montreal's as bad as people think. And these two Hab fans were like, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? They're going to finish in the bottom of the league. I said, no, I think there's about five teams that could be worse than that. Could be. You know, they could be. I know for sure there's going to be two, Chicago and Arizona, right? Uh, Philadelphia is another one, but Philadelphia's actually playing quite well right now, too. Um, I thought New Jersey. I didn't think New. I don't think New Jersey is going to have a good year, which they're not. Uh, you know, Columbus. You know, they're, they're, you know, I was naming off Seattle. I was naming off these teams. Like all these teams could finish below Montreal. Like they're pretty much in that same. You know, not bad, but they're not great. They're not good. I don't think Montreal's as bad as people think they are. Especially and everything if the rookies, falls to. Yeah, if they if the if rookies the ro- do well, but it. It all yeah. falls on who gets hurt and for how long yeah. on which team. Yeah. I mean, right now, Montreal, I could see them getting 30 wins if they stay yeah, healthy could, and consistent. Before the season started, I, I said 29 wins is probably where they're going to be at. So I'm not changing what I see um, or what I think about that. But I do think that the games are going to be a little closer than I expected. They haven't been blown out by anyone. Like, they lost 3 no. nothing and 3-1 uh, were the only two losses. They weren't blown out. They didn't look good against Detroit at all. Um, but it was only two empty netters in that game. That Kurt, well, that Allen. Range. Allen. Yeah. Uh, Jake Carey <laughs> yeah. Price Allen played uh, remarkable. <laughs> Um, and then he said, screw this team. I'm going to go have, I'm going to go deliver my baby and not come back because, you know, they can't score. Um, and then they go score from on tempo. Yeah. <laughs> but I found in that game, Montreal, like a lot of the shots were just right in the belly pad, right in the belly pad, right in the yeah. belly pad, right in the belly pad. And, uh, I, I, no, I didn't think Detroit's goalie there really had to make a big save through the entire game. No. Like it was just belly pad or glove, belly pad or glove. Like it wasn't, uh, and it was just lackluster. And again, that's what you're going to get from this team because it's that middle of the road, 
they're not here. They're not down here, but they're kind of – I don't think they're going to be out of the top bottom ten. I, I, I think they're going to be in that – they're going to be closer to bottom five, but I don't think they're going to be bottom five. And that's all I was trying to say by I don't think Montreal's as bad as people think. I don't think they're making the playoffs. I don't think they're coming close to making the playoffs. Playoffs? But I don't think they're going to be in that bottom five hunt for Bedard. I really don't. And, you know, honestly, I'm not heartbroken by that. I like seeing uh, the team taking some strides forward in this rebuild, uh, seeing the young guys step up, guys like Gooley, for instance. I mean, here's a kid that everyone thought might become a second pair defenseman. Now he looks like he might actually become a number two defenseman. He could be a future Norris Trophy winning. I mean, he'd have to score more because that's how they chose choose the Norris guy now, but top offensive defenseman yeah um but yeah i mean jack guy's looking like a solid bottom pairing defenseman um harris he looks like he could be a second pairing defenseman um you know so we have guys you know i mean jack right now uh you know ghoulies leading the team in minutes for defensemen almost every night and uh he looks like he belongs. He looks like he should be doing that. And Especially uh, considering who he's playing against, he's playing against guys like Crosby, Ovechkin, Marner, Matthews, uh, Dylan Larkin, and he's held the entire group to a grand total of one assist. Yeah, and good for him. I mean, and that's with Savard on the other side. So yeah, <laughs> right. So, uh, and I mean, not saying Savard's terrible. I mean, Savard, I think, is the perfect bet for the next two years to help guide these guys along. Same with Wyden. And and that's why they're there. Um, I know a lot of guys will go on about how Savard sucks and we should get rid of them, but no, I don't get rid of them yet. Like, get rid of them when that guy's ready to take a spot. And, uh, you know, Edmondson's going to be the same way. Edmondson got a year after this year left, and then he's he's gone. But it, it it's working out so that in three, four years, when Montreal's ready to take that next step, these guys did their job, and then the young guys coming in are in where they're supposed to be. And and that's how a rebuild works. And, and not to mention with Savard, you want guys who want to be in your organization. He's mm. a local. He understands the language. He's, you know, like I said, he's from there. And he wants to be a Montreal Canadian. So the, he may not be the best player, but you want guys who are veterans. He's got a cup ring. So people will respect him for that. And he wants to be where he's at. So mentoring the young guys, showing that playing in Montreal is something that's desirable, that that kind of spreads out. Yeah. So that that's a good thing to have. And he's also playing two levels above where he's supposed to play. He's playing on the top oh line my God. when he's a yeah. third line defenseman. So Yeah. And Gooley's still looking is. pretty strong despite that. Yeah. Now when Edmondson and uh, uh, Matheson return. That's when things are going to get a little interesting because they're both supposedly higher on the depth chart than Gooley. So do you push Gooley down? Do you spread some of the minutes around a little bit? That I'm going to, I'm interested to see how Saint Louis incorporates Gooley into this because I don't expect Harris is going to be the one bumping Gooley off at this moment. 
I don't think. Well, when they come back, I would say Jack I and Harris go to Lavelle. Yeah. Um, it's an easy answer. You know how much I love Jack I, but he's waiver yep. exempt and he's going to go. They're not going to lose uh, the new guy there from Winnipeg. And so he'll have to go on waivers and odds are they'll lose him. Um, but probably not. Uh, do you put Matheson on the third line? Probably not. Um, I'm expecting him to kind of share some of the minutes around a little bit because Gooley right now is at about 20 to 22. So maybe maybe you drop him to 18 and Edmondson you give 15 because of his back just as he's getting ready and the rest to Matheson. I wouldn't be shocked either if Matheson or Edmondson moved to the right side. Probably Edmondson because he can play the right side. I wouldn't be shocked with that either. And then you have a Savard, Gooley, Matheson, Edmondson pairing with uh, uh, the new guy and Weidman on the third line. And uh, this is kind of going off track a little bit, but with all the talk uh, on insider trading and on TSN, uh, 690 with uh, Darren Dreger about other teams looking for defensemen who can play on the right side. Maybe when Edmondson comes back, that makes him desirable to some teams that need that and they can make a deal. And that would just yeah. open up a spot anyway for the young guys. Yeah, so then you can have Jack Eye or Harris stay up, one or the other, whoever's playing better. My opinion is Jack Eye. May not be everyone's opinion, but... Uh... I would, given the choice, I would pick Harris right now. But a rotation, let Harris play for a bit, then put him down, then bring yeah. up Jack Eye, because they they all need this experience. Oh, totally agree, and uh, so it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see. I Edmondson is they think he might be back within a week or so, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see who gets moved down then. So uh, someone someone will go to Laval. Someone has to. Someone yeah. has to, and it's guys that don't need waivers that are more than likely going to be sent down. Yeah. That's why when you look up at uh, Armia, when he comes back, are you going to put Pizzetta on waivers to send him down to keep guys like, uh, keep Slavkovsky or do you move Slavkovsky down who doesn't need waivers? That I guess way you that don't depends. expose anyone. Because it's not like Pizzetta's playing. True, but they might have plans to keep him in the roster. So do you yeah. risk losing him? I truly believe when Armia comes back, Slavkowski goes to Laval personally. But uh, unless he somehow in the next few games really turns the corner and doesn't give like, the doesn't know. give the organization a choice, right? But uh, I would like to see him on the top line just for a game. I would like to see him yeah. with Caulfield and Suzuki just for a game, just to see, even for a period Say against just uh, to see an Arizona. Yeah, just to see how well he does. Yeah. Under a little bit of pressure. That's all. Yeah, and Not there's guys call. like... Yeah, no. <clears throat> now, guys like Monaghan, for instance, who the Canadians were paid a first-round pick just to take on. Now, he's looking a lot better. Um, I know there's some talk about on social media that they should they should keep him. But I have questions about that. I don't know if that's something they should be doing, keeping him. I think they should just trade him. Best chance to get. Listen, whether Monaghan scores 40 points or 70 points this year, I think they should trade him at the deadline. Nothing against Monaghan. I want to score 70. Monaghan. 
but this is a chance for you to get two first round picks on one player for nothing for absolutely nothing and uh if you're worried about the center position which Monahan kind of is and kind of isn't playing um then you have to look at it you got Suzuki who's your number one center no one's surplanting that unless you get Bedard and he becomes a superstar uh Kirby Doc, whose face-offs actually this year have greatly improved. Um, depending on the game you watch, he had he didn't win any against Pittsburgh, but um, you have uh, Philip, you have Massar, you have uh, Myshak, you have uh, Kidney, you have Beck, all these guys that are not too far away from making the NHL. I don't know about Myshak's kind of dropping in the little depth chart here, but. <coughs> Masar and and Beck's very close. I think Beck could be there next year. I mean, Beck could be a fourth line center right now. Um, yeah. Plus, you have Evans Jake Evans is still there. Yeah, you have Jake Dvorak. Evans and and of course, yeah, Dvor- and Oh yeah, and Dvorak. I forgot about Dvorak. Now, mind you, Twitter's going to say, "Oh, get rid of Dvorak. He's a bum." But but he signed for four point four five million for a yeah. few more years. And Whereas... Monahan's probably going to want a little bit more money than that for probably five years, which will take him to 33, 34 years old. So, yeah. no. I'm sorry, no. Because Suzuki's not going anywhere. Doc's not going anywhere. Right? So now you're going to have Monahan. So now all you have is that fourth-line center position available for – these two young guys who are going to need at least third line center minutes. <clears throat> Beck could maybe possibly be a second line center if he, if he uh, turns it up. But, uh, and I know I, I have no, I don't care if he scores a hundred points. I'm not keeping him on. I'm not signing unless he signs a three-year deal. Unless he signs a three-year deal for four and a half million. It's not happening. And I don't see that happening. No, <clears throat> especially especially if he gets a 70 to a 100 point season. Wow. Which I'm really hoping he does. <laughs> that and with, with fence, we could have a whole shit ton of first round picks. Well, you think about it, this 2023 is seen as a deep draft. Now I know every year they say the same thing, except last year. It's not so much um, that, there's a ton of players. It's that at the top of the draft in the first round, early second round, you've got guys who are going to be first and second line players all the way up to that point. So if you can grab another first round pick, they have two already. You get a third. One ends up in the top 10. If Florida plant uh, completely shits the bed, maybe you get another one because it's unprotected. So now you got two. And if you pick up another one with uh, Monahan, maybe a prospect on top of that. So now you got three first round picks plus a quality asset plus a first round pick the following year, all for taking on Monahan's cap, which was it, it. So you gave up nothing. So why why keep a guy who can block players' development, like you mentioned, and not take on? those futures that are going to help the rebuild. Exactly. I mean, I get the excitement. I get it. Yeah. You know, I, I understand. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. But 
there's so much more you can get by trading so much more and i mean you also have druin if druin ends up having a good season uh monahan has a good season uh who else dadanov um it doesn't matter you have those four guys that are, are free agents coming up uh, dadanov druin monahan and byron i don't think you're going to get anything for byron but um even if you can get a second round pick for druin or a second round pick for dadanov you're, you're still winning right yeah. um you know, you're 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 getting something for nothing, basically. Um, so, or even if you can get a prospect for Drew and her dad, or trade them both, and maybe you can get a first for the two of them. I don't know. We, the season's just started, so let's see how yeah. they. To me, and and I know people don't like Drew, but he's a fifty point type player. He's also very good in the playoffs. You look at his playoff production; it, it, it hasn't been there a lot, but it's very good. Uh, he's about a, almost a point per game guy in the playoffs, so teams will take that in consideration, right? Um, everyone says he has a nasty attitude. Well, his teammates and everyone says he's great in the dressing room, so he's great with the young kids. What you guys are hearing was you, everyone's going off about what happened in Tampa when he got sent down to the Mooseheads, which was what when he was nineteen years old, you know, like ten years ago or something like that. So year old kid anymore who thinks he's a superstar in his own head um anyway i uh whether i don't think you're going to get a first for drew i don't know it depends mm-hmm. on how he plays what, what if drew comes out and has the best season of his career and gets 70 points then why wouldn't you get a first round pick for him uh montreal has the potential to have like five first round picks they have the potential to have five first round picks this year um even if they don't get first round picks this year Correct. for guys like prospects that, or next year, first round pick the following year, because they yeah. already got two for the following year. Yeah. Add more. Um, and, and I'm, I'm with you on the second round picks as well. That'd be fine. Uh, Why not? Yeah. Now you look at Colorado, their captain is now down for 12 weeks. That's their top line winger gone 12 weeks. Who's to say that the Canadians trading drew away, and eating half his cap, sending him off to Colorado, wouldn't be a good idea. I mean, they've got a relationship with good trades in the past. Why not? See what you can get. You can get a prospect. You can get a, a pick. Yeah. I mean, Future Considerations has been a very popular player recently, but I would ask for a pick or you know an actual prospect. Well, I would. I, I, I don't like giving up a... a, a expiring contract for nothing true especially with this year it's kind of wide open with some of these uh divisions especially in the west so come trade deadline they're going to be gunning for players like this who can fill the bottom of their their roster with skill and they're really i mean the only team i know of that gets a that trade something for nothing is toronto and they traded two first round picks to get rid of people which to me is dumb because you're trying to win a cup. You should be trading those first round picks for players that can help you win a cup. Or Not- drafting these players and putting them in your roster because you're looking for cheap options in your bottom six. Oh, well. Anyway. Nonetheless. Um, but th- this all comes to next year's cap as well. Um with all these contracts coming off, the Canadians are looking at about 
20 to 24 million dollars in cap space once you put price back on the uh, long-term injury reserve and there's talk now that the cap might go up by four more million as opposed to staying flat so if that's the case then the Canadians are looking at 25 to 30 million dollars in cap space tons of cap space bunch of roster spots opening up good young players on the up and coming the, the options are now open for uh, the next step in the rebuild. Yeah. So next year, Montreal has a projected cap space of 11.9 right now. That's with Carey Price. That's with Carey Price. That's before Carey Price goes on, before you add the four, $4 million. Yeah. So if they get the $4 million. So you put Carey Price on, you're up to 21 and a half. Yeah, you're up to 25, $25 million. Take off whatever you're going to pay Caulfield, um, and then the rest. Which I'm is, guessing is about seven and a half. I was just thinking seven, between seven and eight. Um, by the way, he's on a pace for sixty-one goals right now, sixty-one and a half. So rounded to sixty-two. Sign him on his extension now that yeah. before it gets Montreal's, too expensive. Montreal's never had a player hit sixty goals. Yes, they have. Steve Shutt. Okay, I wasn't sure. I, I, because I, I know Riche was the last one to score fifty, and that was like nineteen eighty-eight yeah. or eighty-nine or one of those years, back in the eighties. Yeah. I wrote Shutter it. Shutter did it article. back in seventy-seven. I think it was seventy-seven was uh, when he did the sixty-one goals. Yeah. Okay. Well, then there you go. So if he scores sixty-two, he'll break the Montreal record for most goals by a Montreal Canadian. And it should stop all the news. It should be blasted all over the place because I can recall when another guy hit 50 goals and they pretty much closed all the news stations down to report how important this 50 goals was from someone who everyone knew was going to score 50 goals from day one. So I won't name any names. Yeah. But it rhymes with tattoos. Matthews. Just to put it into perspective, a 61-goal pace uh, for Caulfield, Guy Lafleur had one 60-goal season. So he's on pace to score more than Guy Lafleur. Now, I know this is only four games. I know this is likely not going to happen. But the, the mere fact that you can look at his numbers and say, it could happen, that, that's, that might be the best offensive... Uh, prospect drafted by the Canadians in the last what thirty years? Yeah, yeah. So sign his ass now before he actually gets to fifty, because <laughs> that's going to be expensive. Well, I mean, I mean, if he hits fifty, probably going to ask for nine million. But yeah, so Gila Fleur scored sixty and seventy eight. Games yeah. in 77 78. Uh, and Steve Shutt did it in 76 77. They're the only two players to uh, score 60 goals in the Montreal Canadiens uniform. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, so that's pretty much everything. Um, do you have any final thoughts? No, not really. I'm not much for thinking lately. So, uh, 
no, when, no. When 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 you eat two thousand calories and burn twenty one hundred, uh, things get foggy. Fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, I lost eight pounds in twelve days. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> hopefully some of that's water weight. Mm, uh, I'm pretty veiny. <laughs> So there you so. go. That's good. That's good, but not sustainable. So hopefully everything works it's out. For, it's only for another week. So. Yeah. As long as you don't pass out when you're doing your, your show, you're fine. That's uh, possible. Let's see what mm-hmm. happens. Uh, now, if it's live streamed, I'll let everyone know if it's if they want to yeah. watch it. If it's live streamed, I don't know if it will be. Though. Awesome. Do they have that kind of technology in Moncton? Yeah, they did it for Atlantic. So. But it's Moncton. But it is Moncton. So it might be like choppy and crappy. It's just like two, the lines are just like two beavers holding it up and they kind of shake it to make sure everything gets through. Train beavers. Train beavers. You got to give them credit where credit's due. They were able to train those beavers. Yeah. So Um, so I would just, (laughs) on that note. Poor Matt. Poor Matt. I know. Matt's Matt's stuck working night shift all week and he can't even defend Moncton. Sorry, sorry, Matt. Uh, so on that note, on the train beavers note, uh, I will say thank you to everyone for listening. Keep sending us those, uh, those emails, those requests, those comments and suggestions. We do read them all. We do take them into account. Uh, and as I mentioned in the last show, if you're going to troll us, for God's sakes, make it original, make it funny, you know, put some effort into it, make it artistic, not this, you suck. Like, we know we suck. You don't need to remind us. I like so. to use the word clowns. We're clowns. Clowns, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've worn a red nose from time to time. I, Fair. no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring it up. Oh, and if anyone's looking to uh, meet Treg at any point in the next few months, he's going to be doing a tour of Eastern Canada, Ontario through to the Maritimes, and offering jobs to anyone who's willing to take him. In the Navy. Please please take a job. Please. We can't leave until you join. Yeah. Uh, All right. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Thank you for interacting. And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep 
and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.